Well, last week I shared the mission and the vision of our church and how we're seeking to fulfill that mission and vision in uh, this year of 2021. And there were two things that I wanted to expound upon last week that I didn't have time with all the other things that we were sharing and two things that are really important, I think, in order to fulfill this vision and this mission that we have in 2021. Two things that I feel the Lord leading me personally to do more of in this year that we're in and two things that I feel the Lord wants me to challenge all of us as a church to do more of uh, in this year. And those two things are intercessory prayer and fasting. And so this morning, I'm going to take some time to, to teach on both of these things and kind of get an idea of what they are and why we should do them. Uh, and just to share why the Lord is leading me to, to personally do this and, and just the, the conviction I have to share that with all of us, because I really believe that these are two important things uh, to really help us fulfill this vision that we looked at last week, you know, what we're trying to do. I think these are essential to accomplishing that. Uh, and the reality is, you know, you look statistically as believers share about the different spiritual disciplines that they do in their life. And these are two that come up as the least practiced. Uh, intercessory prayer and fasting are two of the least done by believers. And so I think that it's important that we really understand what it is, but why we should do it. Why we shouldn't be in that category of neglecting these things. And my hope is that you know we're going to see the importance of them. We're going to see why they are a blessing to us and that we will hopefully, if we have been neglecting them, that we'll stop neglecting them and start doing them and utilizing them in 2021. And so I want to start by beginning with looking at intercessory prayer. And we'll start with just a general definition of prayer. And a general definition of prayer is just communication with God. You know, the Bible reveals to us that there are four main ways that we express our communication to God through prayer. And those four main ways are thanksgiving, confession, petition, and intercession. And we're going to be focusing on this intercession aspect of it, but I just wanted to kind of give an overview of four main things that we communicate when we pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the first main way that we express communication to God is in thanksgiving. He says, My will is that in everything you would give thanks. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so a, a second way that we um, express communication to God is through confession. That when you and I sin, we should quickly come to the Lord, confess that sin, and we have this wonderful promise that if we do, He is always faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from those sins that we committed. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. The third main way that we express 
communication to God is through petitions. A petition is an appeal or request for something, and it's typically connected with an appeal or request for something personal, that we're praying for our personal needs. And this is an essential thing. We all have a lot of needs, especially with the craziness of our world right now. And God says, hey, you know what? You have the privilege of coming to me and asking me to help meet the needs that you have in your life. Now, these first main ways that uh, we express communications, you know, this should be something we regularly do in 2021 as well. You know, I'm going to be really emphasizing this morning this intercessory aspect of prayer, but obviously Thanksgiving, confession, and petition, praying for our own needs, you know, that should be something, if you're not doing that, that you would say, hey, in this next year, I really want to make that a priority in my life. You know, we want to regularly thank God, regularly confess our sin, regularly pray for our own needs. But I have found that that these first three expressions of communication, they're more common in my life, and the most of believers I speak to, they're more common in their lives. And the reason that they're typically more common than intercessory prayer is because they're all connected to us. You know, I thank God for what He has personally done for me. You know, I confess my sin because I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. You know, I speak about and, and lift up petitions for my own needs, and since I personally benefit from them, I'm more um, usually willing to do them. And I think that's the case for, for most believers because we see the personal benefit from these things, we are typically more um, commonly doing them in our lives. But you know what? The, the fourth main way we express our communication to God is the most neglected way. And I think part of it is because it's not about us. It's not for us. It's for others. And the fourth main way we express our communication to God is through intercession. Now, intercession is the act of pleading on somebody's behalf, to pray on behalf of another. It is prayer for those who cannot or perhaps will not pray for themselves. So intercession is focused on others not ourselves. It's praying for other people's needs, not our own. It's asking God to bless someone else not ourselves. And as we look at all that's going on in our country right now, all that's going on in our world right now, I think we can all agree people desperately need those of us who are willing to pray to intercede on their behalf. Now when it comes to prayer, I personally want to grow in all four of these expressions of communication to God. I think you know we should always desire that we would continue to grow in these things. But for me personally, I find my growth in the first three you know have happened more than this last one. You know the one that's the slowest to grow, the one that's the most difficult, and it's probably because we all struggle with a little bit of that selfishness and that desire to say, well, I know that these three benefit me personally, so I'm going to continue with them. You know, this aspect of lifting up someone else, praying for other people, making sure that other people are the priority of my time in prayer, that is something the Lord has been personally challenging me to make a greater priority coming into this new year of 2021. And I really want to challenge each one of you as well that you would make that a bigger priority in your life as well. And I think one of the ways we're definitely going to fulfill the mission and vision of our church is if we are a church that regularly intercedes not only for each other, but for the loss that we're trying to reach, for this nation that's falling apart, you know, the more of us that pray, the better we're going to be. Now, when it comes to intercessory prayer, a question that is often asked is, 
who should we pray for? Yeah, okay, I get it. I need to be praying for some people. So who is it that I should have on my list? Who should I be praying for? And 1 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and Luke chapter 6, verse 28, they really answer that question for us. It says this, Therefore I exalt, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Now there's more verses in the Bible, but this kind of sums up the answer to the question, who should we be praying for? And we're told, pray for all men, pray for kings, pray for everybody who's an authority over you, and pray for our enemies, which would be in that category of those who spitefully use you. So the answer to the question, who should we pray for? We should pray for everyone. And there's this emphasis of especially pray for those who are in authority over us and even be willing to pray for those who are your enemies who spitefully use you. You know, we got a lot of problems going on in our country right now. And the leaders of our country, they need our prayer. Our president and vice president needs our prayer. Our future president and vice president need our prayers. The people in the House of Representatives, those who are senators, those who are governors, those who are mayors, those who are in any role of authority, they need our prayer. And I want to say whether we agree with their political views or not, they need our prayer. I would actually say those who don't agree with your political views, they probably need more prayer from you. Now you might be thinking, I can't pray for these people because it goes way beyond disagreeing with my political views. Some of these leaders in, these, in our country are my enemies. They are there to spitefully use me. And that might be the case. But guess what? Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who spitefully use you. So that means we need to pray for every political leader regardless of your view of them. You know, interceding for someone is one of the greatest things you can do for them. You know, oftentimes when people are going through things that are beyond us, we feel helpless, we feel like, I can't do anything for them, but that's never the case. Because the one thing we can always do is we can pray to the God who can do something for them. Yeah, we might not have the ability to help, we not, might not have the resources to, to give them what they need, but we know that we serve a God who can do the impossible, a God who can meet any need, and so we can always lift up others who are going through difficulty. One of the reasons that believers often don't do what God commands them to do is because they really haven't answered the question, why should I do it? You know, statistically speaking, and this is not just with uh, Christianity, but in anything, typically people aren't going to do something, or at least not do it very consistently, if they don't know the answer why. If they don't know why they should do it, then they're unlikely to do it very often. And that's definitely the case with the commands that God gives us, especially this one here of a command to pray for others. If I don't understand why I should do it, then the likelihood of me doing it becomes very slim. And for some, it becomes something that they don't do at all. And so why should we pray for others? 
Well, the Bible gives us many reasons, but I just want to note four main reasons why you and I should do this to hopefully encourage us more to put this into practice. The first main reason is the main reason for why we should do anything Biblically speaking, we just saw it in 1 Timothy 2, we saw it in Luke chapter 6, this command by God for us to pray for others. And that should be the only real reason that we need. Why should I do it? Because God commands me to do it. And that should be kind of the the end all. You know, I shouldn't really need more motivation beyond that. Typically we do, and I'm going to give you some more, but God tells us to do it. And so this wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't, I know you're busy, and you know, if you can get around to it, maybe praying for someone today might be a good idea. God says, no, you want to be my follower? You want to be obedient to me? Then I command you to pray, not just for yourself, but for others. The second reason why we should pray for others is seen in Mark and Hebrews. We're told this. And when Jesus had sent them away, He departed to the mountain to pray. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. In Mark, we see Jesus here on this earth, always going out, getting by himself, praying. John chapter 17 is a whole chapter about Jesus praying for the disciples and praying for us. But you know what? Hebrews tells us that when he left this earth and he went back to his throne, he hasn't stopped praying. He lives to make intercession for you and for me. And so the second reason why we should pray is because Jesus set that example for us. You know, we say, I want to follow Jesus' example. I want to be more like Jesus. Well, here is one of those areas that oftentimes maybe isn't quite included in that. And this is where we should say, if I want to be more like Jesus and follow the example of Jesus, then I need to be someone who prays for others. Because that's something that Jesus did so often while he was here, but something that he does continually while he's there on the throne in heaven right now. The third reason why we should pray for others is seen in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. We're told, Then he said to them, The harvest is truly great, Jesus speaking, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You know, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he shares with them such wonderful news. He says, The harvest is truly great, that there are so many people ready that God has ripened their heart. They're ready to receive the gospel message. But there's a problem, and the problem is the laborers are few. There's this harvest ready to be reaped. There's all these people ready to hear the gospel. The problem is there's not enough people to go and share it. The laborers are few in comparison to how great the harvest is. And so Jesus says the solution to the problem is pray. Pray to God, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into the harvest. Pray that God would send people to share the gospel with those who are ready to receive it. So the third reason why we should pray for others is to gather workers for the spiritual harvest. You know, last week, two parts of the vision that I shared was the first part, which is to save the lost, and the last part, which is to send the equip. And both of those, what do we need? We need laborers who are willing to go out and proclaim the gospel message. And so we should be praying, Lord, send laborers into the harvest. 
You know, right now we are praying for God to send out a team. As, as Jaime shared, you know, we have this opportunity to take a mission trip to Burundi. We're praying, Lord, bring together a team that we can send to this place so that we can proclaim the gospel. You know, we're going to be going out here in Pasadena, in Laporte, in Deer Park, in the surrounding Houston areas for outreaches. And we're praying, Lord, raise up, send people, give us boldness to go out and proclaim the gospel. The fourth reason why we should pray for others is seen in James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. It says this, If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The fourth main reason why we should pray, it's seen in this passage, and it's seen in many other passages as well, is that there is great power in praying for others. The power isn't in us. The power isn't the one we pray to. There's great power in the fact that I come to the all-powerful God, and then there's no person there's no problem, there's no issue too big for him, and that I can say, Lord, I know there is power in prayer because you are powerful, and I'm coming to you with these requests, and we can see God do the impossible in the lives of those that we love. So those are just a few of the reasons why we should pray for others. God commands us to. Jesus set the example for it. We want to gather workers for the spiritual harvest. There's just great power in doing it. And that's the first thing I just want to challenge us as a church. It's something that God has been challenging me personally. That here in 2021, we would make a greater commitment and priority to say, you know what, I'm going to spend more time lifting up the needs of others. I'm going to spend more time praying for the lost. I'm going to spend more time praying for missionaries. I'm going to spend more time praying for the leaders of this country. I'm going to spend more time just praying for the needs of this world that I want to see God do a great work in. Now, as we mentioned last week, we've started up our Thursday nights again. And for the month of January, the focus of our time together is a time of prayer. And so we come at six and we have a meal together, we have some worship, but then we really just spend a good amount of time just praying, lifting up the needs of our nation, lifting up the needs of one another, lifting up the needs of, of whatever it is. You know, and this last Thursday, we had a wonderful time of, of doing that. And I want to encourage you, come on out, come this Thursday and just take this opportunity as a body together just to come and to pray because it's greatly needed. Now, the other main area that God has been challenging me in personally and something that I feel like he wants me to challenge us corporately is in the area of fasting. The Greek word translated fasting means to abstain as a religious exercise from something in order to spiritually enrich yourself. And so to simplify that definition, fasting is to deny your flesh in order to feed your spirit. Fasting by far is the most neglected of all spiritual disciplines. You know, praying for others, definitely people do that far more than they fast. 
And one of the questions that is often asked when it comes to fasting, because I think there's confusion for some as to how we do it, how we should do it, and even how we shouldn't do it. You see, one of the problems with fasting is that people don't do it at all, uh, and therefore we're not doing something that God commanded us to do, and so that's a problem. But another problem with fasting is people don't do it properly. They don't know how they should do it, and so there's a wrong motivation, or there's a wrong way in which they're doing it, and so both of those are problematic. And so I think really to answer the question, how should we fast, we really need to come to the Word of God, and we need to see what does the Word of God connect with fasting? And we're going to be doing that. We're going to see that there's three important spiritual principles, three important spiritual things that as you look through the Word of God, you see connected with fasting. I think helps us answer this question. All right, well, how should we and how shouldn't we fast? And so let's start with the first spiritual thing that fasting is connected to. In Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, we're told, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from Him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Now in the Bible, you have two different types of fast. You have an individual fast where a, a person is fasting, and then you have corporate fast where a group of people are fasting. And here we have an example of a corporate fast. Ezra is proclaiming a corporate fast to the nation of Israel. And notice one of the main reasons why Ezra is proclaiming this fast. We're told that they might humble themselves before God. That's one of the main reasons why this corporate fast takes place. One of the main reasons they're doing it is to humble themselves before the Lord. Now, in Psalm 35, David, he does a personal fast, and I want you to note what is connected to his personal fast in Psalm 35, 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. Notice that David said that he humbled himself with fasting. So both in this corporate setting and in this individual setting, we see a connection with fasting and humility. And that is the first important spiritual thing that we see connected with fasting, and that is humility. You know, true fasting comes from a a humble heart. The opposite of humility is pride. And so fasting should never come out of pride. It should never come with a motivation that's prideful. It should never come from a heart that is prideful. And we see a great example of this prideful fasting in something that Jesus shares in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 through 14. The Pharisee stood up and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus here shares about two different people. You have this proud man and you have this humble man. 
And notice the proud man, he takes pride in the fact that he fasts twice a week. And he tries to use that to show how much better he is than other people. Oh, I'm so spiritual. I'm so wonderful. I fast twice a week. But notice how God responds to each of these men in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man, speaking of the humble one who wouldn't even look to the heavens and just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man went down to his house justified by God rather than the prideful one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, and a very important principle that we see in the Word of God is if you personally exalt yourself, God's going to humble you. And if you will humble yourself, then God will exalt you. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, when it comes to fasting, there are many people like this Pharisee, where they use fasting to exalt themselves. They're prideful in their fasting. And I want to note two main ways that people are are prideful in their fasting because they're unbiblical and they're things that we say, this is how you should not fast. One of the prideful ways that people fast is by trying to use fasting to make themselves look spiritual. And that's what we see so often with the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. And Jesus said something about these Pharisees in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 16 through 18, he says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus says, when you fast, notice he's expecting that to be the case. You know, if you're truly followers of me, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who wants to be seen as something that they're not. And in this case, it's someone who wants to be seen as spiritual, even when they're not spiritual. And notice what these spiritual hypocrites do with regard to fasting. We're told, with a sad countenance, They disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. You see, in Jesus' day, that the Pharisees were were so guilty of doing what he is describing here. They would put ashes on their head. They would even put chalk on their face to make themselves look more pale and sad. And they did this so that everyone who looked at them would know, oh, they're fasting. Wow, they're so spiritual. That They wanted everybody to see that. They wanted this outward show so they could get people to think how spiritual they were. But notice what Jesus says, they have their reward in full. If you do your fasting to be seen by men, well, your reward will be what men give you in seeing that. But guess what your reward won't be? From God. Jesus says, hey, you want to be rewarded by God? Then you should just do your fasting to be seen by him and him alone. And by him and him alone, he will reward you. But if you're just doing it to be seen by people, you have the completely wrong motive. That's a prideful motive. Jesus tells us what we should do when we fast in verses 17 and 18. But you, when you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who is in secret will reward you openly. Instead of trying to get people to know that you're fasting, You should be doing the opposite. Wash your face. Anoint your head. 
Why? So that you don't look like you're fasting. So that you look like you normally look like. And so that people aren't looking at you and go, wow, you're so spiritual, you're fasting, that they just think, you know, here's just another day of you going through what you're doing. Do it so only God sees. So that's the first prideful way, the thing that we should avoid, is just trying to do it so that we can look spiritual. And the second prideful way that people fast is by doing it to try and force God to do their will. You know, a common misconception about fasting is that it's something that can force God to do what I want God to do. That as I'm praying and praying and God isn't answering the way I want, well, I know how to twist God's arm. I know how to get him to do what I want. I'll add fasting to it. And then all of a sudden, whatever I want is now going to happen. And so a lot of people look at fasting in this prideful way as this tool to get God to do their will. But true fasting is humble. It's a desire to do God's will, not my will. I'm not trying to use it to twist God's arm. I'm just wanting to humble myself and be open to what God wants for me. Zechariah 7, 4 and 5 says, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? Notice the question that God asks, and he emphasizes it, and he's asking about their fasting. Did you really fast for me? And the answer is no. <laughs> they fasted for themselves. It was all about them. And so, you know, you're not getting what you want because it's all about you as opposed to really doing it for me. I'm not going to bless that kind of prideful fasting. So God wants our fasting connected with humility. He wants us to be humbling ourselves before him, looking to his will, not our own. And so this is the first spiritual thing connected with fasting, and that is humility. Now this is really important because these other two things that are spiritual things connected with fasting, if you're not humble, you're never going to do them. And so this is kind of the, the foundation. I have to come in humility because if I'm not humble before the Lord, then I'm not going to be having these other things connected as well. The second spiritual thing connected with fasting we see in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sin and the iniquities of their fathers." Notice here, when the children of Israel, this is this corporate fast, they're assembled together, they're fasting, and notice what is connected to the fasting is a confession of their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So here we see fasting connected with repentance, connected with a confession of sin and turning away from that sin. Now, confession of our sin to God and repenting, notice what that is, it's an act of humility. You don't come to God with confession of sin. You don't do that until you've come to a place of humility, recognizing I have done something that is wrong, that goes against what God has said, and I humble myself, and I ask for your forgiveness. And so it's an act of humility that comes to this place of repentance in fasting. So the second thing that we see connected with fasting is repentance. And it's important to note that fasting does not take the place of repentance. It's just connected with it. 
It's not like, oh, I don't have to fast. I don't have to repent anymore. I can just fast. No, it's connected to it. That I'm so repentant that I'm adding fasting to it in this place of humility, recognizing what I did sinfully was so wrong. Lord, I am humbling myself. I recognize how horrible this was. I'm fasting before you. I'm confessing my sin before you. I repent of it and I want to turn away that these things are connected together, not one supplementing or taking the place of the other. So fasting is connected with humility. It's connected with repentance. And there's one third thing that I want to focus on as well. We see it in Acts and Joel. Acts 13.3 says, Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Joel 1.14, Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So here we see fasting connected with prayer, connected with crying out to the Lord. So the third spiritual thing we see connected with fasting is prayer. And this is really one of the most common things as you look through the scriptures and see people fasting. One of the most common things you see connected with that is people praying as well. And as the Lord was challenging me in just intercessory prayer, it's a natural thing that he would say, you know what, as well, I want you to add to that fasting. I don't want you just to be praying for others, but I also want you to be disciplined in this area of fasting as well, because they really go together very well. So those are just a few verses that we see connect fasting with spiritual things, which kind of help us understand the answer to the question of how should I fast? Since fasting is connected with spiritual things, then there should be a spiritual connection to are fast. So when you're fasting, you are disconnecting. You're denying yourself something fleshly, like food. And you are connecting or feeding yourself something spiritual. So the answer to the question, how should we fast? We fast by humbling ourselves and denying our flesh something it desires, and at the same time, feeding our spirit something it desires. Now, I think it's important to note that you can deny yourself more than just food. You know, typically when people hear this term fasting right away, their mind goes to, well, not eating. And that's because that's the most common way we see it done in Scripture. Uh, and it's a good thing, you know, deny yourself the, the fleshly appetite of food. But, you know, you can deny yourself other fleshly things as well. And maybe for some of you, that would be even more appropriate and more beneficial. You can deny yourself, you know, a television show. You can deny yourself time on social media. You can deny yourself some sleep. Uh, you can deny yourself just time that you spend on the internet. And so when it comes to fasting, there are definitely different ways we can deny our flesh. And I personally think it's good to mix it up. And the reason I think it's good to mix it up is because you want to get in the habit of denying different aspects of your fleshly desires. If you just only deny yourself food, well, that's great. You know, I've denied myself that fleshly appetite of eating, but you know what? Maybe my problem is that I spend way too much time watching Netflix, and I'd be much better off denying myself that. Or maybe my problem is I spend way too much time on social media, and I'd be much better off denying myself that. Or actually, it's best just to have that broad, hey, here's food this time, here's social media this time, you know, here's Netflix or any other movies this time or TV shows that time, and you know, just kind of hitting those different appetites to get those under control and to feed myself spiritually in their place. 
And that's the thing that we really need to recognize. The denial of the flesh is only part of fasting. And I think that's where a lot of Christians kind of miss it. It's like, well, I didn't eat. I fasted. Well, you've only done part of it, and you really haven't got the, the benefit because the, the, the only doing the fasting loses out on, well, what should I be doing while I'm fasting? So we don't just deny our flesh. We need to then feed our spirit. Yeah, you know, when I was a young Christian, I knew I, I should fast, and I didn't really recognize how I should do it. And so, you know, I'd skip a meal, and instead of feeding my spirit during that time, I would watch TV. And, and so I'm denying myself food in order to feed myself television, and I completely missed the point. You know, it's a purpose of denying my flesh to feed my spirit, not denying my flesh one thing so I can feed my flesh something else. And so I think a lot of Christians are like, well, I, I didn't eat. I fasted. Well, what did you do that time? You know, I slept. Okay, so you fed yourself that way. Or I went and I did this or that instead of there was some spiritual thing that I did to feed myself spiritually during that time that I usually feed myself fleshly. Now, there are many ways that we can feed ourselves spiritually. We can study the Bible. We can memorize Scripture. We can listen to sermons. We can listen to worship music. We can sing worship music ourselves. We can pray. And so say you come to the conclusion, I'm going to deny myself a meal. Well, the time that it would take to prepare that meal, the time that it would take to eat that meal, let's say that's 30 minutes, to say, you know what, for that time slot, I'm now going to take that time and I'm going to feed myself spiritually. I'm going to listen to a 30-minute teaching. I'm going to read the Bible for 30 minutes. Or I'm going to listen to worship. Or I'm going to try to memorize a passage of Scripture. I'm going to take that 30 minutes that I normally was feeding myself physically, fleshly, and I'm going to feed myself spiritually. Or maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to deny myself an hour-long Netflix show that I typically watch, and I'm just not going to watch it this night. And during that whole hour, I'm going to feed myself spiritually. I'm going to spend time praying for others. I'm going to read my Bible. Or maybe you say, you know what, I'm lazy. I sleep too much. I want to I get into the habit of denying myself some sleep. I want to get up earlier. I want to pray in that time. I want to feed myself spiritually in that time. And so, and so that's what I'm going to do. Now, the thing that the Lord has been challenging me with personally, I want to challenge you with, is that during a portion of that time, that you would devote it to intercessory prayer. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of ways to feed yourself spiritually, but my challenge to you, my challenge to myself, is that during portion of this fasting time of that 30 minutes or that hour or that 15 or whatever it is that you devote, you say, you know what, I'm going to give some of that time to praying for others, to praying for the leaders of our country, to praying for the loss that I know and the loss in our community, to praying for missionary work, to praying for whatever it is that the Lord is placing on your heart. They say, I'm going to devote that time as I neglect my flesh. I'm going to feed not only my spirit, but I'm going to be a blessing to other people as I pray for them as well. Now, there are many reasons, just like with prayer, why we should fast. As we already mentioned, the most important because God commands us to. Following Jesus' example, plus all the godly men and women that we see in the Word of God who fast as well, following their example. You know, it helps us in the spiritual battle. Jesus tells His disciples who come and they're trying to cast out this demon. They can't do it. Jesus says, oh no, these only come out by prayer and fasting that there's an aspect of like fighting the spiritual battle. All those things are reasons why that we could get into, but there's two other things that I want to focus on this morning. I just throw those out so you can know them. The first reason 
is because it has a powerful impact on our prayer life. As we saw earlier, one of the most common connections with fasting is prayer. And really, fasting just has this wonderful impact on prayer, a wonderful benefit to prayer. Charles Spurgeon said this about the connection of prayer and fasting. The church of God would be far stronger to wrestle with this ungodly age if she were more given to prayer and fasting. There is a mighty effectiveness in these two gospel ordinances. The first links us to heaven. The second separates us from earth. Prayer takes us into the banqueting house of God. Fasting overturns the tables of earth. Prayer gives us to feed on the bread of heaven, and fasting delivers the soul from being encumbered with the fullness of bread which perishes. As you and I seek to be linked to heaven through prayer, and that's one of the wonderful realities of prayer, this this link to the, the Father in heaven who's there, and we can pray to Him. One of the things that hinders that is our fleshly connection to the things of this world. You know, but as we fast, it helps us break free from those fleshly connections. And as we do that at the same time as we pray, we have this heavenly connection while we're breaking free of these fleshly connections. And it's just this wonderful thing that's joined together and it really blesses that time and gives a powerful impact to that time of prayer. And that's, that's another reason why we should do it. A second reason why we should fast is because it helps us change our fleshly appetites to spiritual appetites. I love Dr. Pepper. I think it's one of the greatest drinks ever invented. And before getting kidney stones, I drank way more Dr. Pepper than I should. There were several cans a day that I got to a point of drinking, And the doctor asked me about what I drank, and then when he found that out, he says, well, if you don't want to have continual kidney stones, you're going to have to change the amount of Dr. Pepper you consume. And that was a horrible day for me. But um, I recognize, okay, I need to drastically cut back, or I'm going to be in this horrible pain again. And I discovered as I denied myself Dr. Pepper that my appetite for it lessened, and as I drank more and more water, my appetite for water increased. And that was a little while ago that that happened. And I found that I've kind of slowly added a little more Dr. Pepper over time because my appetite as I slowly have added it has increased and my appetite for water has decreased. And there's just a reality that whatever you feed yourself more of, it's going to impact the appetite of your flesh. And the same thing is true spiritually. Whatever you're feeding yourself is going to impact what you have an appetite for. And I think Paul does a great job of describing this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now Paul's making something very clear to us that, hey, our flesh it lusts against the spirit, our spirit lusts against the flesh. Guess what? They're contrary to one another. They're at war with one another. And so within each one of us, we have this battle, this battle between our flesh and our spirit. Our flesh, guess what it wants to do? Sinful things. Our spirit, it wants to do 
godly things. Our flesh wants to disobey God. Our spirit wants to obey God. And verse 16 tells us how we can gain victory over our flesh who wants to disobey, our flesh who wants to pursue the temptations of this world and engage in sinful things. It says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we will walk in the spirit, if that will be the focus then the natural reality is we're not going to be walking in the flesh. We're not going to be uh, doing these fleshly things because walking in the Spirit is going to feed your spirit, which is going to make it stronger, make it easier to follow and obey and do godly things. But when you're walking in your flesh and you're feeding your flesh and strengthening your flesh, the reality is you typically obey your flesh and follow the sinful desires of your flesh. An old Indian chief once described his inner struggle like this. Inside of me there are two wolves. One of the wolves is mean and evil. The other wolf is good. The mean wolf fights the good wolf all the time. When asked which wolf wins, he reflected for a moment and replied, The one I feed the most. There is a daily battle that each of us have a battle between the flesh and the spirit, and you say, well, which one wins? Well, for all of us, the answer to that question is the one I feed the most. If I'm feeding my flesh the most, guess what? My flesh is going to be stronger. My flesh is going to continue to win, and I might be so upset and frustrated. I'm like, why is it that I always give in to this stuff? And the question is, well, who am I feeding? If I keep feeding it, why am I confused? Why am I shocked by the fact that I'm giving in to it? But the other side is true. If I'll feed my spirit and deny my flesh, the appetites of God will grow. The appetites that feeding the spirit brings to my life will increase, and I will start doing what God desires and obeying God far more. I think something important to realize is your appetites can change. Right now, you might be looking at certain areas of your life and say, man, I know I have an appetite for this fleshly, sinful thing. I am tempted by it. I I like to engage in it. I wish that appetite would change, but it never does. Well, why? Well, I keep giving into it. Well, yeah, if you keep giving into it and keep feeding it, the appetite's just going to grow. The way to have it change is to start feeding yourself spiritually. And as you feed yourself the nutrition of the spiritual things, all that junk food type mindset, the junk of the flesh, that appetite will start to change. John Piper wrote this in his book, A Hunger for God. The weakness of our hunger for God is not because he is unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. Perhaps then the denial of our stomach's appetite for food might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. When we are stuffing ourselves with fleshly things, you know, it's really hard to have an appetite for spiritual things. I'm sure you can relate to this. When I was growing up, my mom wouldn't let me eat junk food before dinner because she said it would spoil my appetite. And it's so true. You know, you have a big candy bar right before dinner. You're not going to want the nutritious meal that was made for you. You're just going to have your body full of all that sugar and junk. And so she said, no, you can't have that. You're going to wait and you're going to eat the good, nutritious meal. In the same way, feeding our flesh spoils your appetite for spiritual things. We, we feed ourselves way too much spiritual junk food. 
And we wonder why we're not hungry for the spiritual meat of the word, hungry for the good things that God gives. Well, it's because my appetite is constantly getting fed all the junk of this world. And so we got to fast, literally stop feeding ourselves that stuff and start feeding ourselves the spiritual thing and watch how our appetite starts to change. You know, we're in the first month of 2021, January It's the month of New Year's resolutions. It's the month where people say, this year I'm going to commit to whatever it may be. And I want to say as a church and as individual believers, let's commit to say, you know what? One of the things that I really want to make a priority, one of the things that I want to do far better in this year than I have in past years is I want to be someone who is interceding regularly for others. And I want to be someone who is spiritually disciplined enough to actually fast, to deny the flesh that is strong in my life and to feed my spirit so that I can really grow more spiritually through it. I have personally made a commitment to the Lord to fast from something. Like I said, you can do different things, but not necessarily always be a meal. It could be a show. It could be whatever. But I'm going to do that once a week. And during that time, I'm going to be devoting at least a portion, or if not all of that time, to praying for others, to praying for you, to praying for the leaders of our country, to praying for the lost in our area, to praying for lost in other countries, to praying for missions. But I'm making that commitment. I just want to challenge you. You don't have to make the same level of commitment, whatever the Lord is, is putting on your heart. But I would say, you know what? Make a commitment that you're going to say, in this new year, I am going to regularly be willing to fast and during that time of fasting, pray for others. And maybe you said that's, that's going to be once a month, I'm going to you know, not have a meal. Or once a month, I'm not going to watch this show and I'm going to devote that time to something spiritual to bless others. And I think, you know what, if all of us as a fellowship did that, and as we talked about last week of what we're seeking the Lord to do in our church and through our church, man, that would make such a huge impact. If all of us were denying our flesh, all of us were praying for one another, praying for the lost in this area, praying for what we want to see God do, I'm confident that that would make a huge impact on that. And so Just encourage you with that. That's something personal for me that the Lord has challenged me to do better in. uh, And I'll just leave it with the Spirit of God to uh, either convict or challenge or encourage you the way in which He needs to do that. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we have this privilege. One in which we often neglect too much, Lord, but that the Creator of heaven and earth, the One who spoke it all into existence, the one who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, the one who has a cattle on a thousand hill, the one who nothing is too impossible for, you're the one who tells us to come boldly to your throne of grace. You're the one who gives us access to you at any moment, at any time. Lord, whether our prayers are allowed for others to hear or just in our mind, in the moment when those needs present themselves, you are always accessible to us. You're never too busy for us. You never say, I- I'm, I'm controlling this or I'm, I'm ruling the world here. I don't have time for you. That's never your attitude. And we are so grateful that as your children, we have complete access to you at any moment. And Lord, I just pray that we would one, see that privilege for what it is. And two, that we would take advantage of it, that we would pray far more than we do. And Lord, that we would recognize that there are plenty of people who are not praying like they should who are not coming to you for the answers, who are not coming to you for the help that they need, and that we would intercede on their behalf, 
that there are many lost people who have no clue that you are the answer, that you are what they're searching for, and that, Lord, that we would intercede on their behalf, that we would pray for them, that we would lift them before you, God. So I just pray that you would just give us a greater passion for prayer, but also a greater passion for people. Lord, give us the heart that you have for people, as you desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Lord, as you constantly looked at people and and you were moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd, and then you ministered to them and you healed them and you taught them and you loved on them. Lord, let that be our heart as we look at this world who is broken and lost. Lord, that we would have that compassion that you have and it would lead us to wanting to minister to them through prayer, through practical ways, Lord. And God, that you would help us take seriously our own fleshly desires and temptations. Lord, that we would want to, as Paul says, crucify the flesh. That we don't want the flesh to rule us, we want to rule it. Lord, we want only one thing to rule us, and that is you. And that is your spirit in our life. And I pray that we would get into a habit where we regularly fast and crucify and deny our flesh and at the same time, feed our spirit, Lord, and that you would help us grow and that you would help us mature and you would help us to become more like you each and every day. And so we do just thank you for all that you're doing in us personally, for what you're doing in us corporately as a church, Lord, for what we want to see you do in this coming year. And God, I just pray that we would recognize one of the ways that we can see that happen is just like what we're doing now, coming to you in prayer. And so thank you for that privilege and help us to do it more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and we have two announcements. Men, it's the third Tuesday of the month, which means it's the uh, men's Bible study. So we're going to have that at my house starting at 730. Uh, If you're not able to make it in person, it is going to be uh, on Zoom as well. And so if you know you can't come and you want the Zoom link, I typically text that out anyway, but you can join us that way. Uh, And then also Thursday is our home group. And this is a great way to put in practice what we were talking about this morning. Because remember, all of January, the focus is prayer. And so come on out. This Thursday is going to be at our house at 6 o'clock. We're starting with a meal. Uh, It's going to be a time where we can just fellowship together. It's going to be a potluck. You can bring something to share. And really just emphasizing during that time as we eat, just really getting to connect with one another, talk about what the Lord's showing you and teaching you and encourage one another. And then it'll transition into a time of prayer and a time of worship before the Lord. Uh, And there's just so many things I know that personally you probably have prayer needs for, but just our nation is just in such great need uh, and the things that we're seeking God to do with missions and other things. So Come on out. It's wonderful to pray by yourself, and I think it's even greater when you join other people uh, and we can just agree with one another and have a corporate time of prayer. So if you're able to come out uh, Thursday, start with a dinner at 6, and then join us for the rest of the time as well.